Shmat Avi's father. The art site is tomorrow night. Avi's Avi's Tata Tata. So that is Vinayahu Ben Avraham. So about 900 years ago in Spain, the Jewish people had a golden age. Produced many, many great, great uh, writers, tzaddikim, tamidichachamim, including, not the least of them, of course, the Rambam. Was he in Israel? He was all over the place, but his uh, golden years were in Spain, or born in Spain. Golden years actually were in Egypt. But uh, shortly before the Rambam, is buried in Israel, but his life was in Egypt. The, the, uh, shortly before the Rambam, there lived a man named Bachaye ibn Pekuda. Bachaye, the son of Pekuda. And um, he published a book anonymously, and the book was written in Arabic. I can't, I can't pronounce the name in Arabic, but basically what it was called translated into English, is the guide to the duties of the heart. And in his, in, his, in his introduction to this book, he said, the Jewish people who, uh, you know, you're talking about about a thousand years after the destruction of the second base Amigdash, you're talking about a thousand years of exile. He says the Jewish people have excelled, have really been extraordinary in regards to the duties of the body. Meaning that after a thousand years of exile, Jews are still putting up mezuzah, Jews are still eating kosher, Jews are still wrapping tefillin, Jews are still using the mikveh. And this is what he called chovot ha'evarim, the obligations of the limbs of the body. To do the right thing and to refrain from doing the wrong thing. He said that... The Jewish people deserve only tremendous credit. But, he said, Judaism is not only about what to do and what not to do, it's also a way to think and a way to feel. And that he called chovot halevavot, the obligations of the heart, the duties of the heart. And he says, so therefore, that's lacking a little bit, a little bit lackluster, so therefore I'm going to write a book and hopefully... The book will help Jewish people to become more warm emotionally in Yiddishkeit and to develop the parts of a Jew that are not physical. So he, has many, he had many gates, many chapters discussing various non-physical aspects of Judaism. For example, faith, how to believe in God, what to believe about God, how to love God, how to fear God. This is not physical. And he said that was lacking a little bit in uh, the Jewish people. And so then, chapter 5, the fifth gate is called How to Trust in God. And this gate, Shara Bitachon, is the most famous of all of the gates, became its own book. And his message is, what is the difference between Emuna and Bitachon? Emunah means faith in God. Bitachon means trust in God. 
And he says they, they couldn't be more different. And just because a person has faith, which of course every Jew does by, by birth, we inherit faith from our parents because they inherited from their parents who got it from Avram Avinu and Sarah Yimenu. <clears throat> God gave Avram and Sarah the privilege of bequeathing to their children faith in God in the genes, literally in the genes, so that even if a Jew never learns about God, he innately has faith in God. Faith in God. Emunah. The belief that there is a God, the belief that God is good, the belief that everything that God does is for the good, that's emuna. But that is not bitachon. That is not trust. And that's why a person who can, who, it's possible for a person to have emuna, but to have complete faith in God, and yet still worry about things and be full of anxiety and unsure because although he believes in God, he doesn't know what God is going to do and he doesn't know if God is going to give him good or give him bad or, or it's going to be a good day or a bad day. And whatever happens, he's ready to say, all right, whatever God does is for the best, but that doesn't mean that he's confident that things are going to be good. Or as he put it, emuna is the tree and bitachon is the fruit. So just because a person has the fruit, I mean, just because a person has a tree, doesn't mean necessarily that any fruits are going to grow. But if a person has fruits, that's absolute evidence that there was a tree. So a person who has bitachon automatically has emuna, but a person who has emuna doesn't automatically have bitachon. So um, after all this, all this research, you find that there's very, very little known about this author, and in fact, he, he published anonymously and it was only other people later that revealed that it was this Rabbeinu Bachaye ben Kuda that wrote it. And they quoted him and it became universally accepted and respected and quoted. And nobody more than the Lubavitcher Rebbe pushed people to study this book um, as, uh, as they're quoting over here in the introduction, a letter that the Rebbe wrote to somebody that I'm extremely surprised at your low spirits. Strengthen your trust in God. A person studies and studies regarding, uh, regarding faith in God, and yet when it comes to practical application, where is your trust in God? You should study Shara Bitachon in Chovot Alevavot three or four times. And obviously I don't mean that you should study it all in one time, but in the course of a few weeks, Study it a few times and you'll discover that your faith in God is stronger than you think it is. And this is a recurring theme in the Rebbe's letters. Over and over again, when the Rebbe writes to people who are writing to him, very worried about something, about Parnosa or about health or about children or whatever, the Rebbe's response is always, you are a Jew. And a Jew is ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Believers, the children of believers. And therefore you have it in you to use that faith to not worry. A lot of people were confused by this, and the, Rebbe, and the Rebbe taught it very patiently over and over, but encouraged people not to wait for him to explain it, but to go and to find the Shara Bitachon, and to study it, and to find it. Now, before we can begin, one thing we have to be honest about, and that is that worry is not necessarily something that we don't enjoy. What? Worrying is not necessarily something that all people want to stop. Now you're coming here with the assumption that here's how you get here's how you get rid of anxiety. Well, some people are addicted to anxiety. They don't want to stop worrying because if they stop worrying, you know what happens. They're, they're, to... they're, they're not Jewish. 
<laughs> if you stop worrying, then you have to start doing. You have to take action. Uh, worrying and, and fretting and, 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 uh, and being nervous about, is actually a very clever substitute for taking action. Yeah. To you know, make things good. My wife asks me every Sunday morning, "Where are you going?" I said, "I go to the same place every Sunday I'm morning." What are you about? Well, I have to tell her I'm going to shul. I go to the same place. She's so worried. People, some people enjoy worrying. So the the, the uh, Rabbeinu Bachaye is coming here with an assumption that people don't want to worry, which is already a fabrengen in itself. That worrying is not healthy, it's not good for the body, and it's not good for the neshama, and it's not good for your family, and it's not good for your marriage, and it's not good for your children, and it's not good for your business, and it's not good for your blood pressure. But you cannot live without it. But you can't live without it. <laughs> can't live with it, can't live without it. But the model, the model that the, that the Rebbe, that the Rebbeinu Bachaye is trying to, is trying to build here, is a person who just simply doesn't worry and is confident all the time that God is going to do, that God is going to do what is good for me. Not only that in the end it'll be good for me, but that it is good. Whatever happens is good and will be good. Not that it will lead to good, but that it itself is good. The Rebbe once explained the difference between Rabbi Akiva and Nachum Ish Gamzu. Rabbi Akiva and Nachum Ish Gamzu were two rabbis in the Gemara, and uh, they each of them had a slogan, and they seemed to be identical slogans. Nachumish Gamzu used to say, Gamzu letova. This too is for the best. And Rabbi Akiva used to say, Kol ma letov asa. Whatever God does, he does for good. So the Rebbe, and, the, and there's two stories about this. So Rabbi Akiva's story is that he was traveling he had with him a rooster, a donkey, and a candle. The rooster to wake him up in the morning, the candle so that he could learn at night, and the donkey to travel. And he came to a city to lodge. Nobody in the city allowed him to lodge. So he said, Gamzulatova. He went out of the city into the nearby woods, and he went to, to make a camp, and it was dark, so he lit a, a candle to learn the Torah. And then the wind blew out the candle. He said, Gamzu Tova. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're right. He said, said, Whatever God does, He does for good. And then the candle blew out and He said, And then an animal came and stole His rooster. And He said, And then an animal came and took His donkey. He was left alone with no light and no provisions. And he said, Whatever God does, he does, he does for good. He woke up in the morning and discovered that overnight there was a raid in the village. You know, uh, bandits had come and raided the village. And if he would have been in that village, he would have been taken away with everybody else. And if his donkey or his rooster would have made any noise, then they would have found him. And if his candle had made light, then they would have spotted him. So he said, Call Mad Avid Rahmana. Letav uh, Avid, you see, whatever Hashem does is for good. That's the story about Rabbi Akiva. Then what's the story about Nachumish Gamzu? Nachumish Gamzu was sent as a as a messenger from the Jewish people to bring a bribe to a certain king, 
And when he arrived at the king, he slept overnight, and, uh, and bad people knew that the Jewish people had sent a big bribe, so they went to his hotel room, and they took his chest full of money, and they swapped it with a chest full of dirt. They ripped him blind, so he wakes up in the morning, he opens up the chest to make sure the money is there, and he sees that it's all dirt, so he says, Gam Zuletova. This, is, this too is for the best. He goes to the king, and he's, the king says, what are you doing here? He says, I came to bring a bribe. I came to bring a bribe. I came to bring a, an offering. So the king says, uh, what is it? He opens up the chest. Dirt. So the king says, what is it? You're bringing me dirt? Nachum Gamzu said, it's for sure not just dirt. It's for sure not dirt. Take it to your, to your battlefield and see what happens when you throw it at your enemy. And when they threw it at the enemy, it turned into arrows. So the Rebbe said, what's the difference between the story of Rabbi Akiva and the story of Nachum Gamzu? The story of Rabbi Akiva, what happened was not good. The, the rooster getting killed, the donkey getting killed, and the light burning out was not good. But it was for a good reason. It led, it led to a good result. Nachum Gamzu, when he saw the dirt it was, it was there instead of the money, he didn't say, this will be for the best. These were the words that the Rebbe emphasized. Not kol mad, even this that appears to be a misfortune, not only did God do it for a good reason, which means that it may not be good, but it will lead to something good. Nachumish Gamzu took it to the next level and said, this is good. And that caused that it became good. That the dirt itself was actually a better bribe than the money. Because what what an amazing secret weapon. So the way that I've explained it is that if you believe that everything Hashem does is for the best, then everything will lead to good. But if you believe, if you have bitach, and that is that everything Hashem does is good, not only for the best, but it is good, then everything that happens will be good. The Rebbe brought a shocking example. Find in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu went out from, his, from the palace, and he finds two... two uh, he finds an, an Egyptian uh, beating up on a Jew. So Moshe Rabbeinu kills the Egyptian. The next day he goes out, and he hides the, he hides the body in the, in the sand. The next day he goes out and he finds two Jews fighting with each other. So he tells them, hey, break it up. So the Jew said, Are you going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Made a big announcement. Basically, he informed on, on Moshe, exposed to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah says, Vayira Moshe. Moshe became very afraid. Vayomer, and he said, Achein nodah hadavar. Oh no. Now what I did is public, is known. And indeed, Pare ran after him to kill him, and Moshe ran away, and he ran all the way to Midian, where, where he spent the next uh, 80 years before he came, or 60 years before he came back, and he married his son. So the Rebbe said, Moshe Rabbeinu, by saying, Vayira Moshe, Moshe became afraid, and said, oh no, Acheno da Hadavar, that caused the situation to become dangerous. Oh. 
to say such a thing about the Moshe, the opposite of Bittachon. Uh, to say that the Rebbe, that the Rebbe should say this about Moshe Rabbeinu leaves no room for any kind of wiggle room. The Rebbe is saying that Bittachon makes things good. And even if you have Emunah, which of course nobody's going to doubt Moshe Rabbeinu's Emunah, even if you have Emunah, which as you can see in the story, what happened because Moshe Rabbeinu ran away? He went to Midian and found his wife. So you could say, you see, everything is for the best. If he hadn't been informed on and he hadn't run to Midian, how would he ever have met Basia, um, uh, Tipora, his wife? So you could say, you see, it's for the best. But the Rebbe said, no, 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 no. That's called Emuna. That means that everything is for the best. But Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid. Moshe Rabbeinu shouldn't have been afraid. Moshe Rabbeinu should have had bitachon, not just emuna, bitachon that no matter what Dasan and Aviram do or say, Hashem will make it good. Not this will be for the good, but Hashem will make it good. And if Moshe Rabbeinu had not been afraid, then, it, then, then Pare would not have found out and would not have tried to kill him. Unbelievable words. But you cannot say... You cannot predict it. You don't know that it's going to happen. No, but you opening up for it is... Uh, that's oh. what he says, that Moshe Rabbeinu opened up uh, for... Uh, for uh, being, uh, you know... After, after it happened, after he got married, then you can come and okay. say... More after he got married, you could say that it was for the best. Exactly. But the Rebbe is asking... The Bitachon is asking for something far greater than that. That Moshe should never have been af- afraid in the first place because Hashem only does good. So whatever is going to happen, it's going to be good. So what are you afraid of? It means also that he shouldn't have run away? If someone's chasing him, then he would have a mitzvah to run away. But only because it's a mitzvah. It's not talking about what you're supposed to do. This is only talking about what you're supposed to feel. So I'll give you another example. I'm sure the professor remembers the Gulf War in 1991. And then there was a great debate amongst Lubavitch Chassidim whether or not you should have a gas mask. Because the Rebbe had said there will be no gas. No gas. And other people said, oh, there could be gas. So, so half, the, half the Chabad community went and got gas masks. Of course, the women. And the other half, the husbands, oh, what do we need it for? You are misnagged. The Rebbe said there's not going to be gas. But women are more responsible. And they, went, they got the sealed rooms. I mean, this was a few families where the husbands and wives were having this disagreement. So they wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe's answer came out like this. I never said what you should do or not do. I And lama titra'u. Lama titra'u means there's no reason to stick out. If all of Israel is getting gas masks, go get gas masks. Be it's coming from the story from the, from the brothers, Yosef's brothers. Titra'u means why should you be seen? Oh, okay, okay. Why do you want to stick out? So uh-huh. the Rebbe said, if everybody's getting gas masks, you feel free to get gas masks. I was only, I was only talking about the pachat. I was only talking about the panic. That you shouldn't fear. There will be no gas. You want to get a gas mask. If people are getting gas masks, then go get gas masks. I don't, I'm not so worried that I've said about what you do. You want to make a, a, a sealed room, that's not a problem. The problem is the fear. And boy, did this ever come true for us during co- coronavirus. 
where people were torn between, well, I don't want a shelter, I don't want a quarantine, I don't want to, because I don't like this panic. But, but those are two completely separate things. If people are quarantining, quarantine. The problem is the panic, the emotion that took over a lot of people's lives and of course affected people's health and children and so on. It wasn't the, the, the instructions or the activities, it was the feeling of fear. So the Rebbe and Rabbeinu Bachai is also, the point is not what you should do, what you shouldn't do. The point is how you should feel. The fact that the Torah says, Vayira Moshe Me'od, Moshe became very fearful, that the Rebbe says is why his fear came true. You know, there's this famous movement called The Secret, a secular movement about how positive thinking attracts positive things to happen. But of course, it has its roots in Yiddishkeit, that bitachon leads to good things taking place. So it's, a very, it's far, far more difficult than emuna, because emuna is surrender. Emuna is surrender. Emuna is, I don't know nothing, Hashem knows everything, whatever Hashem does, fine with me. That's surrender. Bitachon is not surrender. Bitachon is confidence. Trust that things will go well. Now, where does it say in the Torah that a Jew has to have bitachon? Why are you driving me, why, why are you driving me crazy? I'll, I'm happy to have emunah and it's fine. Whatever Hashem does, I don't think everything's going to be good. Things are going to be bad. I'm too experienced in life to think that everything's going to be good. I've, I've many times I've prayed and I've hoped and I've expected and I've been disappointed. So don't, don't make me crazy with bitachon. I have emunah. Whatever Hashem wants to do, fine by me. It's okay. Call it tova. Where does it say in the Torah? You have to have bitachon? And, and, and it for sure does. Otherwise, Rabbeinu Bachaye and the Rebbe and all the Gedolim wouldn't be pressuring Jews to have bitachon if it wasn't a mitzvah. So, so there's different opinions as to where in the Torah you find an indication that Jews are supposed to have bitachon. And one of the opinions is that it's in the laws of warfare. In the book of Devarim, there are laws of Jewish warfare. Rules and regulations for a Jewish soldier. And one of the rules and regulations for a Jewish soldier is that whoever is afraid or has a weak heart should go home before the battle. And the Kohen would stand up in front of the troops and would say, anybody who did A, B, or C, the Torah lists certain things, just got married, just built a house, just planted a vineyard, whatever, go home. And the Mepharshim say that this was a cover for people who were terrified to go home. Instead of getting up and saying, whoever is a chicken, go home. But of course, people won't leave. The chickens will stay. The cowards will stay. They don't want to be exposed as cowards. You don't want cowards there. So you have to give them a cover. You have to give them an honorable excuse to leave. So therefore you say, whoever built a house, or whoever planted a vineyard, or whoever just got married, or whatever, if there's a reason why you got to go, go. Go. And then, once everybody left, they would lock the gates, proverbially speaking. Once the battle starts, nobody is allowed to run. In fact, uh, maybe Herschel, the guys in the... Uh, in fact, the Jews would put a guy in the back, in the, behind the front lines, and he had permission to kill anybody who ran away. Why? Because tchilat nefila 
Nisa. The beginning of defeat is running away. Uh, panic, Nisa. yeah. Nisa. Nisa. <clears throat> retreat, but panicked retreat. So therefore, you were not allowed to, and the Rambam makes it very clear that a soldier on the front lines who is in the Kishrei HaMilchama, who is in the combat, in the thick of the combat, and allows himself to be afraid, over he, he is violating one of the prohibitions of the Torah. Because the Torah says that go home, and once you're in the war, you can't have any fear. But it can, me, it can be that a person is not afraid, he doesn't have any fear, and then when you hear all the, the noise and the, the war starts, obviously it gets it can get scared. Okay, I'm not, gonna ta- I'm not gonna tell you about warfare. You guys were soldiers and I was never a soldier. But the Rambam is the Torah is saying that it's a mitzvah for a soldier not to focus on his fear. But rather to be full of confidence and poise and absolute absolute certainty that he's gonna be okay and he's gonna win and they're gonna win and it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. And that's how you win. That's what the Rambam's point is. That's how you win. Fear is not just because you might lose. Fear is how you lose. And confidence is how you win. So believing that you will win is already half of the battle to winning. Believing that you will lose, you probably will lose. And there, Rabbeinu Bachaye says, is a source in the Torah for every Jew to have that kind of trust in God that I will win. Even though it's only talking about soldiers. But he says, so what's the difference? The soldiers are Jews. And the soldiers in the battle have this extraordinary towering expectation not to be afraid, even what Rambam uses the expression, even in the face of an of a unsheathed sword. But every Jew has an obligation in their life to try and live with confidence and trust. Not only belief that whatever happens is for the best, but that confidence that, that the good will happen. And what it is that you're hoping for, Hashem will make it happen. So what kind of a person is this? This is a kind of person who, no, who never gets nervous. It sounds like a tzaddik. It sounds like, a, uh, like an impossible goal, but yet... It's, uh, it's uh, it, an expectation that everybody work towards it. So let's get started. Page, Page uh, two, after the, after the introduction. Okay. There's a long introduction, and, but look at, the, look at the page numbers in the middle of the book and go back to page, go back to page two. Bebitachon al ha'elokim yitzbarech levado in regards to placing one's trust in God alone, Omar HaMechaber, the author says, Nepnei shakadam ma'amar heinu bechiyuv kablata vadatak elokim because the previous chapter spoke about the obligation to serve God, I now will bring you an explanation on one of the most necessary um, needs for a person who wants to serve God. And that is to rely on God in all matters. Because by doing so, there are great benefits both in regards to Torah matters 
and in regards to worldly matters. So first of all, he opens up with a statement, and that is that without trust in God, you cannot fully serve Hashem. Which is, which is really in itself worthy of its own fabrenu. That you could believe in God, and yet your service of God will not be as complete as it could be, as complete as it would be if you had trust in God. So he now explains some various benefits. Page 4. Among the benefits for a person as a Jew, tranquility of the soul, which is free of worry, as a result of his reliance on his God, just like a servant is forced to place his trust in his master, a Jew who could figure out a way to live his life in that way, will find himself with tranquility and peace of mind. Mipne, because. If a person does not place his trust in God, then he automatically, with no gray area, places his trust in somebody else. It's a brilliant statement. What people don't necessarily consider is that if you say, I can't have that kind of trust in God, it doesn't mean that you don't have trust in anything. It means that you are trusting something else besides God. If you are not with God, then there is somebody else. You have to find something else. There's no such thing as not trusting anything. People trust something. Like a person goes on an airplane and trusts that the pilot knows what he's doing and trusts that the mechanics knew what they were doing when they made the plane. He trusts in their expertise. A person who trusts in God doesn't have to trust the expertise, he trusts in God. But if he doesn't trust in God, then you'll trust in other things. And if a person places his trust in something other than God, God removes his divine providence from that Jew and leaves him in the hands of the one in which he placed his trust. For good or for bad? Wait, wait. This is a, this is a, a mystical, a mystical statement, because there's no such thing as as being in the hands of something besides God. Yeah. We don't. We know as Jews from our Amuna that there's no, nothing has real power in the world besides God. So when he says, "If you remove your trust from God, then God will leave you in the hands of whom you do trust," because there's no such thing as not trusting anything. Everyone trusts something, whether it's a doctor or the lawyer or the pilot or the experts. Um, so then God says, okay, so then if you have trust in them, then I will leave you in their hands, and uh, you don't want to be with me, I don't want to be with you. So the Rebbe explained that obviously God never lets anybody, anybody go. If God would let somebody go, he would stop existing. Furthermore, there is nobody to leave the person, there's no one in whose hands to leave the person, because nothing has authority besides God. So you can't say that God leaves you in the hands of the doctor or the expert because the doctor himself is only a messenger from God and the doctor can't do anything without God. So whatever happens is going to be because of God. So then what does this mean? It means, like everything else, that there's a difference between the way God sees reality and the way we see reality. We call it reality while we know that there is a truth that we do not perceive as a reality. You know, celebrities are wearing sunglasses and when you look in the sunglasses, you see yourself but they see you. 
People wear these aviator sunglasses and you look at it for all the world. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, if you came from a different planet and you didn't know what sunglasses were, you would think that this person can't see you. Because there's glass in the way and where you see yourself, it's probably blocking them. But of course we know, because we've all worn sunglasses, that it only works one way. You can't see him, but he can see you. And that's in general how it works with Hashem. We can't see him, and therefore a lot of people assume that, he does, that he's not there. Exactly like a person would say, I don't see your eyes, I see glass. So you probably don't have eyes. But anybody who knows anything knows that there are eyes that are seeing you behind the glass. So a person says, I don't see God, so therefore probably God doesn't see me, is of course a big mistake. God sees you even though you don't see him. Why? Because the universe exists as a, one, as a two-way mirror. As a one-way mirror. Where you look at the universe and you see yourself. You've seen science and nature. God, looking through at the universe through his, from his angle, sees me. He doesn't see the universe. Just like a person looking through sunglasses doesn't see that reflection. In fact, doesn't even see glass. Just sees you. Hashem looks at the world and just sees me. There's no universe. There's no universe from God's perspective. It's all God. From our perspective, there is a lot that seems to be blocking. So therefore, it all depends on how, how you want to think, your, your frame of mind. If your frame of mind is focused and lasered in on God, then God helps you to see the truth of what it is that you are believing. But if a person decides to abandon that whole path of belief, and go instead and put in trust, his trust in things that he can see, then God allows him to do that path because that's the definition of free choice. God allows him to take that mental path and, and allows him to feel like his whole fortune depends on his, his uh, stockbroker, his doctor, whatever. So the person in their reality, in their whole consciousness, will feel exactly the way they believe. They believe that Hashem is not reliable, but rather the expert is reliable, then they will feel that way too. That Hashem has abandoned him, and it's all up to the expert. Whereas a person who persists with with, uh, perseverance in believing that Hashem is reliable, Hashem helps the person that not only should he believe it in his, like Leo said, philosophically, but it should become a reality. It should be something that he can sense with his senses. It can be that tangible that God is, is observing and, and controlling everything that is happening to him. So basically what he's saying is that how you feel is up to you. Hashem will help you feel however you want to feel. If you want to feel separated from Hashem, Hashem will step back and allow you to feel that. Of course, you are not separated from Hashem. Hashem is controlling everything. But if you would like to feel that you, you can't deal with Hashem, it's too, it's too uh, abstract. You want to deal with a guy whose hand you can shake and whose x-rays you can look at. Okay. Then Hashem says, no problem. I'll take a step back from your consciousness and you can be fully invested in the expert. But if a Jew says, no, I don't want, I want to believe in Hashem. I want to have faith in God. I want to have the reliance on God. Then Hashem helps that the person begins to see the world and feel things differently. And in fact, when you talk to people, like Shalom Archei when you talk to people 
who, who really feel this way, and you don't necessarily feel this way, you really feel like you're talking to somebody who lives in a different dimension. You feel like you're talking to somebody who is in a different reality. The person has trust that everything is going to be good, despite the fact that numerous times in his life, his trust has not come true. This book is also dedicated to uh, Alan Derf- Dershowitz, who helped Rubashi. Uh, did he? He did indeed. But but Shalom Ardchai believed with absolute faith that the that the ruling would be in his favor, and it wasn't. Then he believed with absolute faith that the sentence would be lenient, and it wasn't. Then he believed, every, and it wasn't, and it wasn't, and it wasn't. And yet he kept saying to his family and to his friends, everything is going to be good. And in fact, everything is good right now. And in the end, it was a big miracle, and he came out. The point is that when you talk to him, it feels like he's living in a different dimension because for most people, he is living in a different dimension because of what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. If you persist in believing and relying and trusting in God, then Hashem helps you that you should feel that way. Just like anything else that I used to tell people, don't treat religion like some out of reach, impossible way of life. It's like anything else. If you, if you train yourself to think a certain way, and you persist in that way for 90 days. You know, that's what it says in the Torah. 90 days is habit forming. We learned last week. Uh, you know, if you're not sure, if you said Morid Atal or Mashi Baruch or Morid Geshem, then depends. Has it already been 90 days? Or, or 30 days? 30 days, 90, 90 times. Has it already been 90 Amidas? Okay, then you can be sure that you're doing the right thing. Has it not yet been 90 Amidas? you probably are following your old habit from the, from the summer or from the winter. So it's like the 90 is like the magic number. If you, if you do the same thing over and over again, it becomes a part of you as expression is Hergel Nase Teva Shemi. Habit becomes your nature. And it's not only true in regard to brushing your teeth or in regards to checking the news, it's in regards also to spiritual things. That if a person says, yeah, I want to believe in God, but, uh, well, then start believing in God, but persist in it, and then it will become real. And if you don't persist in it, and you refuse to rely on God, and you want to rely on something else, then that becomes real. It doesn't become the truth. The truth stays the truth. We don't have access to changing the truth. We're not that high up in the, uh, in the ladder. We have only access to changing our reality. The truth is that Hashem Elokeichem Emet. That's the bottom line. But we, because we have free choice, Hashem allows us to fiddle with our reality. How would you like to see and feel the world around you? If you want to see the truth, then you have to, you have to persist in it and you have to be strong. And then you will feel it and see it. If you don't want to, then don't. And you will feel and see the world around you and that's all. My Zayda, Allah Shalom, Shalom Ber Gordon, Grew up in a little village in Russia called Dukshitz, and he said, he used to he used to tease us and say, "You American boys, hey, it's gehaste duck." Anyway, so he said that when he was a kid, this Dukshitz was such a small little village that the children of the village were convinced between each other. You know the big the big. Um, Experts in Cheder, all the six and seven year old experts, were absolutely confident that there is no world behind, behind the, the forest that's around Dukshitz. 
the, the forest is the end of the... That's all. That's all. And everything you hear about the czar or the, this and that, it's fairy tales. Because whatever exists is here in Dakshitz. So one day, big scandal, a child came to school, all excited. His father told him that he just came back from a trip on business and it was somewhere else. Turns out there is a world past Dakshitz. So the kid said to him, I remember Maizeda saying this, you are a liar and your father is also a liar. He went into the forest, he stayed there for a few days, and he came back and lied to you and told you that he went somewhere else. There is no world outside of Dakshitz. <laughs> now, it's a funny story, and Maizeda will always laugh when he would tell it. But this is exactly what he's saying over here. Look, you want to you live the life of a kid and believe that there is no world outside of Dakshitz? Gizunta hate. Luxuriate in your fantasy. Luxuriate in your delusion. But if you want to mature and you want to go and, and look into the world outside of Dakshit, you can do that too. So the first benefit is that a person has tranquility. The Torah says about a person who, who abandons faith in God that two, two mistakes have been made. Oti azvu. They have abandoned me, mekor mayim chayim, which I am the source of living waters. Lachtsov lahem borot borot nishbarim, to go and look for broken wells. So God says to the Jew, Vos tustu, what are you doing? Not only did you run away from the source of all good, but more than that, now your reliance, now your provider is a broken well. So this is what God says to Yer, through the Navi Yirmiyahu. It's not just that you think, okay, I'm abandoning God, and now I'm going to do just, you know. No, if you abandon God, then your, then your provider is broken pipes. Well, that's not, and that's not a good life. The Omar, and as it says in Tehillim, Vayamiru et kevodam, the Jewish people at the mountain exchanged their glory, betavnit shor ochel esev. For a cow, for a grass-eating cow, or as they call it today, grass-fed cow. They call, <laughs> you, you took Hashem, you just had Hashem in your lap, in your hand, and Vayamiru, what did you exchange it for? For a grass-eating calf. That, in other words, the Abishter tries to make it clear to the Yitin that you don't push God away and then end up independent. If you push God away, then you end up the subject of something flimsy and something embarrassing, like a calf eating grass or broken wells. Whereas the Novi Yirmiyo said, Exactly. <laughs> Blessed is the man who believes in God. If you believe, if you have trust in God, then Hashem is your trust. If you, if you decide... It's such, it's such a common pasuk that we don't even think for a second what it means. Baruch HaGever Hashem seems to be the whole message. Blessed is the man who has bitachon. No. Hashem Then God will be his, his reliance. If a person chooses to be a Yiftach Hashem, then Hashem It's up to you. The Amar, and as it says in the Tehillim, Ashrei HaGever, Happy is a man, Asher Sam Hashem Miftacho, who makes God his support, velopana, and doesn't turn, el rehavim, besatek kazav, 
to the haughty and those who are liars. In other words, David HaMelech is trying to say, you have two choices you've got to make. Either you can, you can trust in Hashem, or you can trust in Rehov and Vitzatei Chazav, the haughty and the, and, the, and the dishonest. And last but not least, V'amar, the Pasuk says, as Avi read in the, in the Haftorah yesterday, Arur HaGever Ashayiftach Ba'adam, Cursed is a man who trusts in man, the sum basar and makes flesh his arm, his strength, umin Hashem and his heart turns away from God. This Pasak teaches us that bad things befall a person who relies on other people rather than on God, so which supports Rabbeinu Bachai's original statement that God removes his divine providence from those who don't trust in him, and the person is left relying on things that are not good. So the first bracha of trust for a person is tranquility. And as he's going to explain, we'll talk about this next week, he's going to explain in really graphic detail what kind of anxiety results simply from having to rely on other people. Relying on your boss, relying on your clients. And just in case anybody thinks that Rabbeinu Bachaye was an advocate for a Jew to sit and learn Torah all day, Many chapters in this book are teaching you how to find a job, what job to do, how to go to work, how to work, how to balance between taking initiative and having ambition and believing that everything comes from Hashem. He was actually very critical of people who gave everything up to Hashem's hands. I don't have to work. I don't have to go to work. No. He said, that that's, not, that's no big chachma. Anybody can, anybody can surrender and say, okay, it's up to Hashem. No. The wisdom, the brilliance is in knowing how to live your life with confidence, but confidence in Hashem. You take the initiative and let Hashem worry about the results. Ah, yeah, yeah, we have a minion? Yeah. Rabbi Hananya ben Akashia Omer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>